0: Hello everyone and thank you so much for joining our podcast series called Engineering Experts Group. I'm so excited to have you join us. My name is Sally Buckley. I am the Managing Director of Pragmatic Success. Our team is involved in executive search, coaching and management consulting on projects and with companies all over the country. Um, And we're very specialized in infrastructure and renewable energy. I started the podcast series actually to thank all of you and all of your contributions to this world that we live in and uh, being on projects, rail and transit, airport, highway, bridge, uh, tunnel projects. I mean, it just my gratitude is just overwhelming. It's, I can't thank you all enough uh, for this. And the reason why I got my passion was that I worked at Bechtel Corporation for about 17 years. I started out in San Francisco, had uh, time, spent time in Houston, Texas, Frederick, Maryland, and now in Northern Virginia. But what was so exciting was that I was on projects all over the world. And um, I, just, I just loved it. I loved the professionalism. I loved the large projects. And the experience of design build and all the challenges that went with it. And I learned so much every single day. So that's kind of why I'm so happy that I was able to grow and develop in this field. Super. So today I'm really excited because Patrick Cassidy will be joining us. And before he joins, I'd like to give you a bit of a background on his history Patrick Cassidy is the president of Patrick Engineering, located in Chicago, uh, Illinois. He has 30 years of experience in design, management, and construction of bridge and highway projects. Patrick has extensive experience in managing the design of projects, utilizing alternative project delivery methods, such as design-build, public-private partnerships. And he also has provided critical leadership in the design and rehabilitation of 17 major river crossings, nine cable cable-stayed, six arch, eight movable, eight segmental, and two suspension bridges. Additionally, he has a uh, master's degree from University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana with civil degree. And he has his civil uh, engineering degree from University of Wisconsin uh, for his bachelor's. Uh, he also has multiple PE licenses in, in Illinois, Florida, Nebraska, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Mississippi, and Michigan. And and also when he worked at Parsons, he went through the um, uh, residential school uh, called Kellogg School of Management. I'm sure many of you know with uh, Northwestern University. So you'll hear, you'll hear more about that during the um, interview. So, additionally, Patrick is many, many publications. He has 24 awards, and on top of that, he ran the Chicago Marathon. So he's just a privilege to get to know. And um, I just want to welcome you, Patrick. Thank you for agreeing to uh, do all the pre-interview work and to join today and in uh, having a discussion with me about your history. So, where I'd like to begin, if you don't mind, is about your life in Wisconsin and working with your dad. So thank you again. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Sally, for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to to join you. Um, yeah, I, w- I grew up in small town USA in the Midwest in um, Baraboo, Wisconsin, which is a little town about 40 miles north and a little bit to the west of Madison, Wisconsin, your typical rural um, community um, grew up the son of uh, uh, blue-collar, hard-working parents that instilled a, uh, a great deal of integrity and and work ethic in me. And um, you know, the unique thing about Baravu was it was uh, it was the uh, summer home for the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. The the, uh, the circus had a winter home in Sarasota, Florida, and a summer home in um, uh, Baraboo. and the Circus World Museum is still there today. It's a scaled down version of what was there in my childhood, but I have many fond memories of uh, of the circus and listening to the the steam calliope play um, uh, all summer long. You could hear it during the day.
0: That's so much fun. That's fantastic. I love it. Um, so Patrick, you know what we we talked about your leadership philosophy, and that just is so intriguing to me. So could you share with your audience? Well, actually, you talked a little bit about your father. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about your dad before we go on to your leadership?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's uh, important conversation to have because it, it really was the genesis of of my of why I chose a career in infrastructure. I. My father uh, owned a residential and light commercial construction company, uh, specializing in, in a lot of residential homes um, and other buildings. And I can still clearly remember my first day on the job, the start of the summer after my seventh, uh, after graduating seventh grade. And um, I worked as a laborer on the concrete construction crew and it was, Really hard work, but really, um, really rewarding, and, and that's where I I, um, I I developed my love for for construction, and then, you know, ultimately my uh, my love for for engineering was was born out of those experiences, and was a big part of why I made the decision to go to school to become a a, a civil engineer. Uh, uh, I just saw that as a, a natural progression of me you know, moving from building structures to designing structures. And I really saw a lot lot of opportunity to grow and civil engineering provided an opportunity to do that on a a much larger scale. Um, And what I really love about um, engineering and construction is just the creative process of getting the opportunity to work as part of a team to solve society's problems and, and create something that uh, first and foremost has utility, but also um, beauty and, and form to it. And it's really one of the reasons that early on in my career, I gravitated toward signature and complex bridges, uh, which, um, you know, create a really special opportunity to be part of um, uh, the urban fabric of the communities that they're, they're a part of.
0: Yeah, sustainable too, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: The impressions and the completion of the project made it life easier for people, for all of us. So thank you for that. Um, I really appreciate and value your your, uh, bullet points on leadership. Would you mind going through that with the audience? Because I think we would all benefit from hearing your story on what your thoughts are on leadership, please.
1: Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to. Uh, I think at its its simplest, you know, my philosophy on uh, being a leader is really connecting strategy with talented people. Uh, it really all starts there. Um, there is is no company in the world that's successful without having talented people that are are organized in a way and and given a mission and a vision um, that they can get excited about. Um, so, if you as a leader can create that vision that people want to be a part of, and and most importantly, they see how that they can contribute to that that vision, and and um, that gives them genuine purpose and meaning, um, and the opportunity to grow. That's that's really powerful. Um, it, and so, in its simplest form, it, it's really about strategy and and talented people. Um, but, but ultimately, I kind of see the, the mission of a business leader in particular is um, is to create a, an ecosystem of a shared value for employees. Um, it, it's really that win-win relationship between company and employees, but it's not just employees. Um, it's about all the other people that are connected to the business that... Um, provide value to the business and, and, and derive value from the business. And so it's, it's our clients, it's our partners, it's the communities that we're a part of, and, and of course it's our shareholders. So um, it, 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 it's really ultimately about a, a business leader creating an ecosystem for all the, the stakeholders that, that touch and are a part of, of their business. And, and this is really different, um, you know, than the, this legacy attitude of, of business in the earlier days of, um, of business leaders were really all about driving shareholder value. Um, and, you know, early business um, schools really drove that home but in, in recent years, um, the philosophy of, of conscious capitalism of, of being aware you know, of, of the impact of your, your company, and, and the interactions that your company has with people and, and communities, it's become much more prevalent and essentially, essentially views this, uh, this notion of driving shareholder value as really just an, a, a lagging indicator of the degree to which you're driving value for all the other stakeholders in your business. So it's a much more holistic and, and people-focused uh, approach.
0: Very much so. Yeah, I just wrote down the word holistic. That's exactly what I was thinking of. And and by that, it's very inclusive, isn't it? Your mission.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it it's um having an awareness that it it's not it's not just about you. It's not just about the em, employees. It's not just about clients. It's about everybody. And you know, for a business to uh, to be successful, you've got to provide value to your employees you obviously have to be providing value to your clients and, and we've got a social responsibility and an environmental responsibility to the communities and 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 where we you know uh, where, where our people and our in our uh, offices reside yeah um, I think you know another really important thing um, for a leader to understand is how culture fits into an organization's success and and what they can do to influence it, I've I've come across many business leaders uh, throughout my career that are are predominantly focused on strategy and and don't understand um, when their strategy will require a, a shift in culture to be successful and 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 new strategies that that require cultural changes are are the ones that take the longest and they're a bit more complex and. That's where organizational change management comes in, is is having a a strategy associated with these culture changes that um, um, address the people side. What are the new values you want to instill? What are the behaviors um, uh, that that you want um, those values to drive? Um, And and so ultimately, I've come to realize that uh, leaders drive value values values drive behavior behavior drives culture and culture drives performance and if you're visualizing this you want to look at it as really this self-reinforcing cycle that turns in on of itself itself because at the end high performance for a company um, and and growth of the company develops your new leaders and develops your employees and and that that starts the whole value chain over again and you know it's one of the it's one of the more um, difficult things uh, that that organizations struggle with, and that when they're looking at a, a much-needed culture shift to to capitalize on their vision of uh, how they're going to grow in the future, um, that that takes kind of a different skill set. And um, you know, we're for, for example here at Patrick, yeah. we've got an incredibly entrepreneurial culture. Of, of people who just fiercely solve their customers problems and are looking to add value and that served us well it, uh, that approach it serves us well today it, it's what got us to the point we're at and and we want to we want to continue to um, to act that way but um, rather than starting up new individual business opportunities we've recognized that our our, one of our biggest opportunities for growth today is cross-selling all of the various uh, people process and technology all our solutions more or less to all of our clients no matter what part of the organization they reside in and so the collaboration and working together across you know division boundaries across other departments uh, is really um, our opportunity to scale the business up and and do an even better job of of serving our customers.
0: This is fantastic. You know what I was thinking about when you talked about cross culture uh, and using talents from different groups to to go into other areas within the Patrick organization to develop, uh, expand their skills. Is that kind of what you're talking about in this collaboration? And then when you spoke about the entrepreneurial aspect of it, I think this is very exciting because they can grow and develop a bigger and broader way of being in this infrastructure space. Right? Absolutely.
1: I, 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 first and foremost, you know, it, it, it allows us to better address the needs of our clients because we're, we're bringing the entire company to, to serve them and, and, and help them with, with their capital programs or other problems that they're, they're trying to solve with operations and maintenance and, the point that you made is, is also very critical is it creates a lot more opportunities for our employees, um, to be working across the company, getting, uh, uh, getting involved in other markets with, with other clients that historically they may not had a chance to interact with or, in, uh, uh, you know, are, are involved in, in projects that in their, um, uh, current department, you know, they never would have saw. So, yeah, it's really about creating opportunity for, again, going back to that, you know, that value chain, creating opportunity for people serving clients. Um, and that's ultimately what what drives growth um, in, in the company.
0: You know, something that occurs to me, Patrick, is that um, I think the size of Patrick is, Patrick has such a wonderful footprint in the united states right now and i hear that all the time because i have the privilege of of supporting you uh doing executive search work but one of the things that i'm excited about is is how people you know when you talk about entrepreneurial uh work a workplace that's quite different in these large organizations you can't really get in there too much because you've got to keep moving and you've got these huge projects to get through. I think you have a better advantage, don't you? Because you can work in different, in different, like you said, you uh, different business lines and have a, have a say in what you're doing. I think that's very, I think that's one of the attractions that people have for Patrick as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, the, the, you know, the word I always use when, when I describe, um, that, that trait of Patrick is we're agile, you know, we, 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 we are a medium sized business with about 350 employees. And, um, one of our strengths is that we're, we're not this, uh, large bureaucratic process driven organization that, that has a tendency to move a a bit slower. We've a very flat organizational, um, structure and um, a, a client service attitude. And um, we, we um, leverage that to to be nimble and agile and, and responsive to opportunities that we see in the marketplace and opportunities that are presented to us by our customers.
0: So your professional history is so impressive. Um, you know, when, when we were working on our pre-recording, pre-planning for this I was struck by how broad the experience you have. It's. I'm going to leave this up to you on how you want to share your story of beginning with bridge design and, and becoming an executive leader and a president. And it's just, uh, it's a remarkable story. Could you share a little bit about your history with your audience? And yeah. You tell us a little bit about your bridges, because I'm passionate about bridges.
1: Yeah, so am I. Um... And, and that, you know, that, that was where I spent the early formative part of my career is, is coming out, um, uh, of, of the graduate program at, uh, university Illinois Champaign and designing bridges. And, um, it was, uh, there's just so many things to say about bridges. Um, there, and, and I think, you know, the, the biggest thing, um, really that, um, that um, I can think of with with respect to bridges is just the metaphor of, of building bridges, um, uh, not only uh, to connect communities, because I really think bridges, at their best, physically connect communities and people, uh, but also metaphorically, um, you know, th- th- this business is all about people and building bridges between people and to drive relationships, form relationships, is also incredibly important. And so, you know, that, that, um, that metaphor of, of eliminating obstacles that divide us, I believe that's what we should be striving for in our personal and professional relationships, especially, you know, when you look around at what's been happening over the past few years. I don't know about you, Sally, but I I see too much of the opposite going on in society. It's it's kind con- it's really contrary in my my opinion to what it means to be human. Um, yeah. it, we if, if we could all do a better job of of building connections between one another um, to remove obstacles um, physically and and from a relationship perspective, we all be better off. Um, and I think w- this pandemic has taught us. Um, it, it, that that uh, we live in a world that has all these global interdependencies between people and communities and organizations, and it, we've seen this firsthand by going to the grocery store and seeing there's no toilet paper early on in the pandemic because right. the supply chains couldn't adjust to everybody being at work consuming toilet paper in that way, and and people were looking for some semblance of of control in their lives and. Boarding toilet, toilet paper, I guess, gave them the illusion of control in, in, in some ways. But, um, you know, so focusing inward on ourselves and, and what we need ignores how dependent we are on others for health, for food, for shelter, a job, and, and ultimately a sense of belonging. And I think once we recognize and accept those interdependencies, it should really motivate us to be to be master bridge builders with people, um, and obviously, at the the foundation of of those uh, bridges between people uh, is trust, and and that's where it all it all begins.
0: It is and communication. You know, Patrick, I have to say that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this uh, podcast series during the pandemic was to bridge relationships and get and get the word out about infrastructure and my passion for it and the thank yous for this. And that's kind of where I'm at is I just want to thank you guys and spread the word all spread it all over the world. That this is a beautiful way of, of creating, you know, through, through engineering, construction, right. whatever, whatever you want to do, you don't have to be either one of those. You could be another support your support staff. And so anyway, yeah. Thank you for that. That's just, makes my heart sore because that's exactly where I would rather be is in a, is, is engaged in, in the metaphor of a bridge communication and supporting one another and collaborating and cross-cultural work. I mean, all of this is welcome now, but anyway, yeah. So, so share your story about, um, your professional history because it's quite a journey.
1: Yeah. I, um, as I said starting uh, starting uh, right out of college I started designing bridges here in the Chicago area and got to work on some really cool projects the relocation of of the uh, northbound lanes of lakeshore Drive when they used to be on the east side of soldier field to the west side and um, all these fairly simple structures but but beautiful um, concourses under lakeshore drive that all of the people in that that uh, visit the museum campus in Chicago um, would would know about and be able, and recognize. Um, and then, um, you know, one one of the when, when I switched companies to uh, an international boutique engineering company called G Mueller International, I got the opportunity to work on some really large um, international projects. The first of which was the. Bang Ply elevated expressway which is in bangkok thailand oh it was huge um elevated six lane segmental highway 34 miles long and um it was wow. a design build project we we were working with a, a german contractor who is was who was building it and um just really you know my experience there uh, just really saw the the, the power of a, of a great culture and talented people and, and what, what could be accomplished through that. And um, it, it was such a large project, that also introduced me to kind of an, an industrialized approach to, to designing and building um, large projects um, in a way that was very efficient and, and effective, um, almost like an assembly line kind of uh, approach where we would develop a master design and master drawings for the the different um, elements of the bridge and then essentially extrapolate that into adaptation drawings and adaptation designs for all the the unique conditions um, that occurred along its um, 34-mile length of the viaduct. Um, That's
0: a long bridge.
1: Yes, very long, and it, it was uh, elevated toll highway uh, to begin with. So there were elevated, um, ele- elevated toll collection facilities that also were structures in and of themselves. So very cool project, and another really cool project I got to work on that I was actually the project manager on and, and engineer of record was the Damon Avenue Arch uh, over the North Branch of the Chicago River. And
0: oh, cool. I know that
1: bridge. Yeah, the cool thing about that project is uh, not a large bridge, but um, very much a signature bridge that the the arches were um, 48 inch diameter pipe that were bent um, into its form using an induction heat bending, which is a a, a novel approach to to fabrication of, of arches at the time. And we also uh, eliminated um, all of the upper lateral bracing between the arch ribs. So it was a very open, free form, simple um, and elegant uh, looking bridge that there've been a number of, of bridges since then that have kind of copied the use of, of um, uh, induction heat heat bending um, of, of the ribs. Um, oh. And so that was fun. Um,
0: Patrick, can I ask you a question? Did you now? Did you guys introduce that idea to the client, or yeah. was that had been done before?
1: Um, we we introduced it to the client, and um, you know, we we did uh, uh, during the conceptual planning phase. We came up with a number of, of different concepts, and mm-hmm. and that concept in particular, and and the visual aesthetic of it, really struck a chord with the um, the city of Chicago, who was our our client at the time, mm-hmm. and um, was really in this phase of under under uh, Mayor Daley's um, administration of a right. beautification of the city, of investing um, in in infrastructure, of an investing in urban design to really um, um, you know achieve the full potential of of um, the the uh the aesthetic and and really attract people um uh, to the city and to its streets and to its sidewalks and Mm -hmm. and bring you know what uh, chicago's always had this phenomenal building architectural culture and one of the things that that i love about about the city and um, in those days, the city of Chicago was really focused about bringing that same high-level aesthetic quality to uh, the, the uh, uh, road and bridge infrastructure um, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the city. And, and also uh, was building big streetscaping programs that, that use vegetation and, and um, monuments and other things to, to help kind of soften the, the concrete jungle of, 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 a big urban city.
0: I love Chicago. I grew up there, so I love it. I love oh. downtown and all the bridges and, and just Chicago river is just a, it's an art form, isn't it?
1: I mean, it is. It is. Oh
0: my gosh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and another one of the, uh, yeah. my early day projects, it was, uh, you know, in 2005, uh, Hurricane Katrina wiped out a number of large bridges down in the the Gulf Coast area around Louisiana and and Mississippi, and um, I got the opportunity to um, lead the design of the replacement of the U.S. 90 bridge over Biloxi Bay, which spanned between Biloxi, Mississippi on the west and Ocean Springs, Mississippi on the east, and um, it was the, 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 the new bridge, are uh, uh, dual 1.6 mile long, uh, three lanes in each direction, bridges, and uh, the, the typical commute time between Ocean Springs and, and Biloxi, Mississippi, was about two and a half minutes. But when Katrina came in, uh, it literally destroyed that bridge and cut, cut off those two communities to where now the, the travel time between them, you know, went to at yeah. least 30 minutes when there wasn't traffic and much longer when there was traffic. And so this was a big impact to, to those coastal communities. It really was a, um, a lifeline, you know, for people to get to work, for people to travel along the Gulf, Gulf coast. And, um, so, uh, like I said, I was the, um, uh, project manager for the design team working for, a construction joint venture of Whip Construction, Massman Construction and Trailer Brothers Construction. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was, it was really probably the, the closest I've ever come to feeling like a rock star if there is such a thing in the, in the, yeah. um, the bridge design and construction community because you know, there was, I remember flying into uh, New Orleans and then driving I-10 um, over to Biloxi and there really was not much going on the airport in in New Orleans was a ghost town um, there was only one hotel in the in Biloxi that was open and that was the Iowa Capri uh, hotel and casino mm-hmm. and um, you know when I would uh, show up there and check in um, at the hotel um, the first couple times the uh, folks there had asked me, well, what am I doing in town, right, because there, there wasn't a lot going on at that time, and mentioned to them that, you know, I'm in town to to design and help build the new bridge between um, Ocean Springs and Biloxi, and um, yeah. boy, I can, I've never seen people so excited to see a bridge engineer <laughs> in my entire life, um, oh, because no. of such a, you know, yeah. a huge negative impact that that had on them, and so I would always get a I would always get a, uh, uh, yeah. a Gulf uh, View hotel room, which actually Ooh. overlooked the oh. bridge itself, and so I could see the construction going on when I got up in the morning and looked out the window. And it was uh, it was a really fun experience. And um, this got, had the opportunity to work with just an incredible team of of, of very talented professionals on both the construction side and on the design side. And we had, it, it was amazing what we accomplished um, in very little time.
0: I love that story. And you know, that that Katrina had such an impact on all of our lives for a lot of reasons, just the the displacement of the people, all the whole story. And so for you to come in and we go back to the bridge metaphor, you know, you're bringing communities back together. You're sort of yep. creating, you know, giving their, their bridge back so they can get, get to wherever they want to get to sooner. And I know what you mean about the rock star. I think that's an apropos. I think you're all rock stars. Actually, I did there should be a song for engineers, but uh, why isn't,
1: why isn't there a song about bridge engineers? There needs to be one.
0: We're going to create one after this podcast. We're going viral with a song. So, Patrick, um, how long did that bridge take? Because I'm sure everybody was standing outside, just couldn't wait for the ribbon cutting. How long did it take?
1: Yeah, we had, uh, we had um, the bridge open. Uh, the first bridge, it, they're dual bridges. So the first one, you're testing my memory now. I know we, we had the design done within six months. We were pretty much 90% complete with the design. And I think within 15 months, we had the first bridge open to traffic.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's fantastic. I love that story. You told me that before. I love that story. Yes, we will create a song. So tell me other, is there any other bridge stories that you want to share? Because I do love them.
1: Oh, how much time do we have?
0: So we, I know, I know let's, let's go with one more bridge story that you love.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, another really fun project that, that I was involved with, uh, in was the the Hastings bridge over the Mississippi river. This is, uh, in Hastings, Minnesota. It's, uh, Hastings is a smaller town to the South of the twin cities. And when I was at, at Parsons corporation during the, my, my 17 year tenure there, the, um, uh, Minnesota DOT had a pretty large um, cross river mobility program going on where just the urban sprawl in the Twin Cities area was was causing a lot of uh, capacity needs. Um, they were building and widening a lot of bridges over the Mississippi River up there and, and um, I was fortunate to work on a number of them and one of the favorite ones, my favorite ones that I worked on was the um, was the Hastings Bridge, um, and it was another design-build project, which I love design-build. I think they're um, mm-hmm. especially if you're if you're an engineer, um, it, they're much more challenging and fun projects because number one things happen fast. Number two, you get to work with the construction team that's going to build the project, and so you can optimize. The design not only for its in-service function, but how it's going to be built. Um, so you can develop a, a design solution that optimizes cost and schedule and constructability, and then ultimately um, serves its its functional purpose in in, in carrying uh, people and vehicles safely across the the river. Um, and um, we had uh, uh, we we introduced an alternative design during the procurement. Um, the, the, the DOT left the design open. Um, they, they wanted uh, a signature bridge. They had two baseline designs of a cable stayed and a, and a, a traditional arch bridge. And um, we really, uh, we work with Lunda Construction and, and uh, also Ames Construction to very successful, uh, twin cities, uh, construction companies and came up with, uh, uh, a third alternative. It was an arch, but, um, it, w- uh, we decided again to eliminate all the upper lateral bracing, like we did on the Damon Avenue bridge project it had a lot more cleaner look, a lot easier to build. And we wow. used a trapezoidal shaped, um, uh, steel box, and the other uh, uh, the, the other interesting aspect is, um, of course, we all remember the collapse of the I thirty five W bridge yeah, yeah. there in the Twin Cities, and that really yeah. um, changed the 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 um, perspective of the Minnesota DOT in in looking at new bridges and wanting to really make sure that there is sufficient redundancy and structures uh, that they were building. And so um, we came up with a with a tight arch system that had a much, much higher degree of redundancy than a traditional um, uh, tight arch. And so we were not only able to, to uh, uh, propose a, a bridge that was much more beautiful, much more cost effective. Um, easier to build, but also one that was safer for the traveling public and much more resilient um, uh, over its life cycle. And um, the, the, the coolest part about it, and I'd, I'd urge everyone to go Google, um, you know, construction of the Hastings Bridge, is we came up with the concept of building the bridge on land on temporary supports. And then using uh, self-propelled modular transporters, moving the bridge onto barges, and then floating the bridge into its final location, and then lifting the bridge into place with a strand jack system. And the, the 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 beauty in that is it didn't uh, require building the bridge in the shipping channel, which um, Mississippi River, we all know, is a, a big uh, shipping channel. And so um, construction of bridges over the shipping channel, um, you know, has, has, uh, restricts navigation and, and, and the Coast Guard uh, will only give a certain uh, window, closure window for that navigation channel. And we completely eliminated that, um, that obstacle by building as much as we could on land. And then using modern technology to to roll it onto a barge and float it into place.
0: That is amazing. I have never heard that before. That's an amazing story. When you talked about redundancy, Patrick, does that have to do with, you know, you mentioned the bridge that collapsed before. Were you talking about redundancy specifically to the design? Uh, How did that, how did that yeah.
1: Yeah. So in a in a in a, a structure, um, there's multiple forms of redundancy. There's load path redundancy. In other words, mm. if a certain member or element in a bridge fails, you want to uh, have designed the bridge so that loads can still be safely carried by the remaining part of the bridge, that it won't mm. cause a catastrophic collapse of the bridge. And then the other form of redundancy is is material or internal redundancy where, um, you know, you choose um, materials and um, systems that have uh, internal redundancy. So in this case, um, we used uh, post-tensioning tendons um, in combination with with the steel plates to uh, form the tension tie for the arch so that if you had some corrosion you know, in one element, there was an um, an alternative um, load path and an alternative um, cables that um, the the tension um, could be redistributed to, and and again safely carry load and not lead to a catastrophic collapse of the bridge.
0: That's an amazing story. I just love it. So, I was involved with the, so my background is in human resources. So, I was involved with the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. I was located in San Francisco at the time and worked with, so I was up at, at Tacoma, Washington quite a bit to help with the staffing and policies, everything that needed to be structured in place. So I was working with the Bechtel teams and the Kiwit teams and what a collaboration. And I want to just share with you that I've been blessed to be on several design build projects and I can't speak to it from an engineering perspective, but other than, then I just love the whole idea of the collaboration working together. And there's plenty of fights to go around, right? I mean, it's not all easy and but it's, it is, it's about working through the design, working through the construction and have your teams working together. I think that's just uh, so I, I, that's.
1: And and then the fun in the end of getting to walk over the bridge or drive over Mm -hmm. the bridge with your family. And there's always been, you know, something that's incredibly um, rewarding, you know, about that experience to leave something concrete and tangible behind. You've got kind of a, visual representation of all the blood, sweat, and the tears that the team put into the project to make that a reality.
0: And one of the things that uh, I interviewed, David Klamy, who I'd like to introduce you to sometime, he's an expert in bridge construction, and he talked a lot about, you know, the ribbon cutting and crossing the bridge and the celebration, working with all the agencies. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of efforting, but Jeez, it's it's just something that uh, we're all so grateful for. So that's why we're doing this. So anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about you know we spoke we spoke earlier about leadership, but there's another thread here because you're now president of Patrick Engineering, and you did speak a lot about Patrick and what you want to do there. But I want to go back, just take a, just a step backward regarding your evolution. You're the bridge designer people started noticing your talent your your leadership abilities there was some moment in time where people where you were seen do you remember that time when you were included in the executive leadership programs and that was your stepping to- stone because your audience will want to know how you got here
1: yeah so i've you know i i always uh say there's really four career paths in an, in an engineering and construction company there's a technical career path, a project management or program management career path, sales and strategy, and then general or business management. And um, you know, my time at Parsons, I was um, at one time or another, I was on each one of those paths, and 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 so I got an incredible experience in those 17 years at Parsons of moving from um, kind of the technical side, getting the opportunity to Um, to be a regional manager uh, at Parsons and manage people. And at the time I was also um, managing projects. And that's kind of when, um, you know, my love of leadership and, and uh, uh, seeing that there were other very rewarding challenges associated with these, these large projects that weren't necessarily Technical in nature and definitely not things I went to school for there's a lot of the soft skills of, of leading and motivating people to accomplish something, you know, collectively. And so uh, Parsons is a, a incredible project management culture and training program and and really good uh, uh, leadership development program that that I had the opportunity to participate in and you know, that really then set me on the track of leveraging the project management um, uh, and technical um, um, career that I had and move into business management and general management. And um, you know, I got the opportunity to, to, to run larger and larger divisions for the company. And then um, I got the opportunity to to head up uh, uh, sales and strategy for the uh, Infrastructure Global Business Unit as the Executive Vice President. And so there, you know, learned a a, a very different side of the business in um, developing uh, a strategic roadmap, you know, to capitalize on on growth opportunities within a company, developing strategies to to grow our book of business with, with clients and serve them better. And I really love the the competitive nature of sales. Um, so that was something that also was was um, um, very surprising to me of, of working on the sales end of these large um, programs and pursuits, and um, formulating a win strategy with the team that um, you know maximizes the value to the to the owner who ultimately is going to, is going to select, you know, a, a winner someday. And, um, so I had tremendous experience there. And, um, and, and then w- one of the other opportunities you mentioned in my introduction is, um, the, the culmination of, of the leadership program there is, uh, uh having the opportunity to go through, uh, a residential advanced management program. And so I ultimately, uh, chose, um, the Kellogg School of Business um, because of my my interest in kind of continuing to, to focus on sales and marketing. And that was a phenomenal experience. Got to meet people from all over the world who had come in to participate in this three-week, you know, immersive um, executive education program. And, um, you know, I think um, if you would have told the 18-year-old me who was Um, incredibly excited about designing, you know, the world's tallest building or longest bridge that one day um, you'd end up running a business. I'm sure he would have laughed, but um, I I just got to this point where just really love the people side of it. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's, you know, there's plenty of creative things to do on the business side. Um, And so it tapped into that, Um, that creative purpose, you know, that I'd always loved and seen on the engineering side. And the the business leadership opportunity gave me an opportunity to um, make a greater impact on on people, whether it was our customers, our employees, um, our strategic partners. Uh, It uh, uh, afforded me the opportunity to to contribute on a a larger scale.
0: Fantastic. You know, what came to my attention was, when you were at Parsons, what business lines were you um, going after?
1: I started out as a, uh, my general management crew track at Parsons was, I started out um, a regional manager in the bridge and tunnel division. And I uh, worked up to leading, uh, being the division manager and senior vice president in charge of the bridge and tunnel division, and then took over the road and highway division, um, which was the largest division at Parsons at the time, had a very big footprint in the Middle East um, and North America were kind of the two primary geographies. But the the infrastructure um, global business unit of Parsons was focused on industrial infrastructure and also Highways, bridges, airports, rail, transit—you um, know, very, very traditional infrastructure business.
0: That's a huge portfolio, Patrick. Huge. Yeah,
1: and and it was a lot of, a lot of fun because Parsons had a, a self-performed construction group that did uh, about four hundred million in um, in business a year, and that combined with the engineering side. Um, and our and the development side at Parsons created a lot of opportunity for the company and in public-private partnerships as well as design-build programs.
0: So this is the, you know, we're at a kind of at a crescendo. Um, now, when you accepted the job at Patrick, I mean, you left a huge portfolio and, and you said, yep, I'm going to go over to Patrick. What was the incentive there? Because that's very exciting that You said, yes, I'll be president of Patrick. Tell me what about, tell me, tell us about that story.
1: Yeah. So what I, you know, after meeting the folks here and um, getting to know the company and the book of business uh, more, I I was really struck by uh, how diversified uh, the business is. Uh, You know, we do highways and bridges, rail and transit, industrial infrastructure and in institutional infrastructure we work for electric and gas utilities and, and also renewable energy and, um, really loved how diversified the business was. And I saw that as, as opportunity for me to come in and, and leverage that the footprints in all those different markets and the talented people here, uh, to really scale up the business. I was looking to join a company where I felt like I could make a difference and help the company and the people grow. And I certainly saw that at Patrick and, and um, have been here two years now. And um, that has been the case and, and then some. Uh, it's a very exciting place to work. Uh, uh, a lot of fun, um, challenging opportunities for our employees. And um you know the, the 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 focus on collaboration and working across the various markets um is is also really exciting for for our our employees and our and our business leaders um yeah. and you know it, 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 the the other uh, draw to Patrick was the degree to which uh, the company leverages uh, technology I, I think, any engineering construction business, you know, is either faced with being disrupted disrupted by the the rise in technology in our in our business, or, or being um, on the uh, the leading edge of disrupt of that uh, technology disruption. And so, Patrick is a is a place where, you know, we employ. Uh, uh, software engineers and and data uh, analysts and um, uh, geospatial information system experts oh. that leverage technology um, uh, and provide our infrastructure clients business intelligence and data analytics and asset management solutions to help them unlock insights into their capital programs, their, their maintenance and and operations, um, uh, programs. And so we're not just civil engineers and electrical engineers. We also have a very techie side to the business. And a lot of, a lot of the folks that, that work for us started out, you know, as, as computer engineers in in school.
0: That is very cool because it's just, and it's, these are cost saving opportunities for your clients, sole source opportunities for, for, you know, wind plans and your strategies. It's just, it's like an endless, endless opportunities for you, don't you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the other, the other dimension to Patrick uh, is, you know, we're, we're not just a, uh, uh, an engineering company. Um, We, we do the planning and permitting uh, for projects. We do the design. We have a build component. We, we will do Um, We'll take at-risk EPC, design, build, and CM at-risk projects, and then we're an overall program manager. And I think that um, clients more and more so these days are looking for vertically integrated companies like ourselves that um, have insights not only into how to design something or how to build something or how to manage something or how to plan something but companies that can really take a holistic view and at the very inception of a capital program envision a way to to deliver that that program um, uh, while reducing risk to the client, um, giving them cost and schedule certainty and um, ultimately um, meeting their functional needs. And I, I think the companies of the future um, in the infrastructure business are those those that can play in, in all four dimensions of, of that delivery model.
0: Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Patrick, we're sort of getting towards the end of our story, and I don't want this to end, but I promised you an hour. Um, talk about the future. I think you've pretty much covered what the future looks like, but let's go with your final comments. Um, this has been very exciting. I just want to say thank you, but go ahead with your final comments. We talked a little bit about maybe the pandemic or how would you like to thread this?
1: Yeah. um, I had, you know, I write a a monthly uh, article in our newsletter and um, the pandemic has been a source of Uh, maybe inspiration is, is too positive a word <laughs> for, for some of the articles that I wrote, but it's been a very interesting time uh, if you're an observer, observer of, of human behavior um, uh, the, these last couple years. I mean, at the beginning of this, you know, I saw a lot of people who, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic when certain activities were no longer healthy and safe for people, there was all this habitual momentum, you know, that people just weren't moderating their, their behaviors, their decisions. Um, and, and of course we know change is hard for humans, right? And so it's, it's not a shock, but um, it really uh, made me reflect on the, the fact that, you know, we as a society, um, I think in some respects have lost our ability to critically think and and that's what engineering uh, a a degree in engineering and a career in engineering teaches you to do is is critically think you know looking at data and evaluating bias and um coming up with uh, analytical solutions and judging um those solutions to to see which ones are best and um i i think the the uh we, we certainly do not have a whole lot of critical thinking in our political discourse and in our newspapers and um, our TV coverage these days. And I think that that's uh, There's a great opportunity there, um, you know, for 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 people who are interested in in a career of uh, You know, contributing to society, getting to work on challenging projects, learning how to critically think which is, I think, a key, a key, a key trait, a, a, a key skill, um, the, to carry on, along with you in in your lifetime. And I think, you know, ultimately, um, those are the types of things that that build resiliency. You know, personal resiliency, resiliency in a in a company. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson of the pandemic is just how important it is. Um, to be working on your own um, personal resiliency and mental health, and make sure that that's always in check, and building companies and building infrastructure that's resilient um, is has been probably the the biggest lesson. And you know, when I look back um, over the thirty years of of, of uh, my career that I spent in, in, in infrastructure. You know, I, I look back at that first day on the job, um, my summer after seventh grade, and and looking at a at a big hole in the ground, and then, you know, weeks later leaving uh, behind a home that a family was was going to, was going to live in or a, a business was going to use. You know, that just gave me a tremendous sense of accomplishment and and pride, and and that sense of connected purpose and need is, is what's really driven me to, to continue, you know, to, to do my part, to, to, to design and build the infrastructure of the future and, and also grow people in the process and help them along with their careers.
0: What a great story. So those of you that are listening, share this podcast with all your friends and family, because it's it's really, I am completely enlightened by, by Patrick's story, by your story, Patrick. So thank you for that. And we're going to have a a rock star song.
1: (laughs) How about Bruce Springsteen? Can you pull that? I think he would be appropriate.
0: So Bruce Springsteen, if you're listening to this podcast, we need a song, right? (laughs) Would that be fun? Oh yes. We'll get this to Bruce. And, um, I just want to say thank you for this i mean i just i don't want it to end but i just it, it's just wonderful and it's and it's inspiring and those of you that are don't have a mentor or a champion please you know join your association um look up patrick and at the company i'm sure that he'd be happy to converse with you if you choose i mean there's just so many ways for us to to meet again so Thank you again for this, Patrick, and you are a bright light. There's no question about it. Have a good evening. And Thank, thank you. you
1: very much, Sally. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.